Well, good morning, church. Uh, Fusion was incredible. It was um, really, really an amazing experience for our young people. Um, I have not gotten to be a part of a Fusion for over six years. I I went all growing up uh, when I was in high school, but um, having been back now, that was the first one I got to be a part of, and it is just such an amazing experience, an opportunity for kids to come and for two and a half days straight just encounter God and encounter teaching and worship and music and people who are all focused on getting to know God better. And uh, this this week, this last year was just incredible. Like my dad said, Wes and Tommy and the entire team did a phenomenal job putting together just such an incredible weekend. Uh, and we had over 25 young people uh, make decisions um, to either be following Jesus or sharing their faith. Um, people committing to, to bring five people to the Lord this year. They're doing everything in their power to share their faith with their friends. And, uh, you know, this year, um, our main topic, our idea of conversation for the weekend was this idea of accomplishing the mission of God together. Um, and, and we had this, this, this title, this idea of together, um, but it wasn't just about, you know, friendship and, and unity and, and being united united as the people of God, but it was this idea of working together, living on mission and accomplishing the Great Commission together. Uh, And so all week long, we were trying to find ways that we could bring the youth of Alaska together, people from all over the state um, coming together, being unified in the idea and the mindset of the Great Commission And some of you might say, well, okay, that's great. That sounds awesome. Um, Why? Why this topic? What what made you guys decide to talk about the Great Commission? Um, And for us, we believe here at this church that it is the mandate, the mission, the goal of every believer, of every follower of Jesus to take part in the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Jesus Christ came and he started his ministry by taking some some young people, most likely some teenagers, and putting them together and turning them into fully devoted followers who took the gospel to the whole world so that we to this day could be standing right here. And we want to commission, we want to challenge the next generation to do the same thing, to look ahead for generations to come and say, what are we going to do now to share the gospel and to join the mission that Jesus started a couple thousand years ago when he came to this earth? And so we spent the entire weekend talking about the idea of how can we as the next generation, as Generation Z, come together and accomplish the Great Commission? How can we continue what Jesus started by going to the nations and making disciples? And uh, I, really, I really love the idea. If you know me, it's really hard for me to spend too much time Um, talking to anyone about anything without somehow going back to the Great Commission. It's something that I feel like God has written on my heart. It's something that I felt like God has put within me um, to, to train and disciple young people to be equipped for the calling that God has put on their life, which I believe is to go and make disciples. 
Uh, and so speaking this year at Fusion was, was really just such an amazing experience for me personally because I got to speak out of my heart. I got to speak out of what God had done inside of me, and, and I absolutely loved it. And so um, this morning, I want to talk a little bit and just kind of give you a recap of what it is that we shared with the students this weekend. Um, and, and I'm going to go over a couple of um, the ideas here. And you'll see on the screen, uh, we had four main general sessions that, that myself and Pastor Wes uh, got to teach. And these are the ideas that we discussed. The first week, or the first night, um, we talked about understanding the mission. What, tr what really is the mission that we're all here for? Uh, what is the mission of God? What is the Great Commission? Was it to us? Was it to just the disciples back in the day? Uh, we kind of unpacked the gospel a little bit and really helped our students understand the very essence of what it is they're sharing when they go into the world and share uh, the gospel with other people. And so we unpacked the mission. And then we talked about preparing for the mission. You can't just walk into the world. You can't just walk into a hostile environment and expect to be effective at communicating the gospel, sharing the gospel, and making disciples unless you're prepared. Unless you yourself have taken the time to develop into a mature disciple personally. And you can't go effectively make disciples of Jesus until you first are a disciple of Jesus. And there's often tons of things that get in the way of that. There's often so many distractions, so many things that we hold on to as believers that get in the way of us preparing for the mission. Whether that's sin, whether that's distractions, temptations, the, the lure and the enticement of the world, whatever it is, there's often things that we hold on to that keep us from adequately preparing for the mission. And so we talked about that a little bit. Um, and then we talked about knowing your role and, and what is your role in the mission? How do we as the church all fit together in unity to accomplish the mission? God didn't send one person to go reach the whole world. Well, he sent Jesus, and then Jesus didn't send one person to go reach the whole world. He sent 12, and he didn't just say, okay, you 12, go share. He said, you go make disciples and make disciples of all nations so that we can take the gospel to the whole world. And it was this multiplication effect where disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and eventually the world is reached with the gospel. But all of us have specific gifts, specific talents, and within the body of Christ, we are all needed to work together to accomplish the mission effectively. And then lastly, we finished out um, the, the week by talking about how we do this in partnership through love and how the body of Christ was commanded by God to be a people who embody love. And when you read 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, for example, uh, Paul is giving this detailed explanation of the spiritual gifts, the gifts that the Spirit has given the church to accomplish the mission. And there's some, there's some trouble within the church because people who have certain gifts are beginning to think of themselves more highly than other people who have other gifts. And so Paul uses this analogy of the body to describe how the church is supposed to work together. And he says, you know, just because one part of your body might seem to have more glory or be better than another part of the body doesn't mean that it's any less or more important than the other portions of your body. 
And he was, his, his point is that, yes, some people have the gift of teaching, or, or some people were given the gift of, of miracles and signs and wonders, or, or some people were given the gift of tongues, but all are needed to work together to effectively live out the body of Christ to the world. But then he finishes chapter 12 with saying, but I will show you an even better way than unity, which is love. And, and his point is, then going into 1 Corinthians 13, that if you have love, true Christ-like love, then the issue of dissension and quarreling within the church goes away. Because with love, love is patient and kind. It's not envious. It's not selfish. There's nothing imperfect about Love And so the whole conversation about arguments within the body of Christ, the whole conversation about all of the frustrations that people were experiencing because of pride go away when you put love in the picture, when you put love first. And so we, as the unified youth of Alaska, need to find a way to be the generation that unifies the body of Christ to accomplish the mission rather than dividing it. Because we live in a world that wants to divide us. We live in a, in a church today that wants to divide us. And one of the reasons that that's the case is because the church of God is distracted. The church of God is not living on mission the way that we should be. It's really easy to focus and get distracted by petty conversations, arguments, disagreements when you're not doing the mission that you should be. And so we as the church, in order to remain unified, in order to put each other first and accomplish the mission through love, we must keep the mission first. You ever, you've ever been in a situation where there's this goal that you're working towards? For me, I obviously use the illustration of basketball because basketball was a huge part of my life. When you're on a team who is steadfast in their goal of winning a championship, then nothing else matters. Only thing that matters is winning a championship. And it doesn't matter how long you've been practicing. It doesn't matter if practice goes three hours longer than it should be. It doesn't matter how many extra hours you have to put in the gym. It doesn't matter how much frustration people have about who's getting more shots. Or None of that matters because people just want to win a championship. For those of you guys who watch the NBA, you can see this. You know, you got some teams who want to win a championship and they're just selfless. And they do their role. They know their part. It doesn't matter what their part is, whether they're the last guy on the bench or they're the number one score, the best teams are the teams that come together, they're laser focused on a mission, and they do their part in the mission to accomplish it. But what happens with the church so many times is we lose sight of the mission, and so then we get distracted on all the other little lesser things that are going on, and we get fractures, we get disunity, we get frustration, because people are talking about who's getting more shots in the game. And that's kind of like what was happening in the church at Corinth when Paul was talking to them is these people were getting fractured. 
They, they were getting distracted. They were like, oh, well, he has this gift and, and that person has that gift and I don't have that gift. And so, you know what? Since I don't have that gift, I'm not as important as that person. So I'm just gonna not be a part of the body. And Paul's like, no, you, you really think that could work? You really think that works? If, if the nose decides that they don't wanna be a part of the body, you think he's any less part of the body? No, you're still part of the body and you're important and you have a role and you need to embrace it and move forward because the mission is more important than your role in it. And oftentimes the reason we have so much division and fracture within the church is because we're distracted by pettiness and we haven't put the mission in front of us. We haven't decided that it is up to us to reach every lost person in this earth. And so it doesn't matter about all the little disagreements we have because the one thing we can agree on is that every single person needs Jesus Christ. Every single lost soul who is dead in their trespasses and sins and disconnected from God the Father needs to hear the gospel. And so it doesn't matter all the disagreements that we have. It doesn't matter all the little things that don't matter. Unless it's a matter of faith in the name of Jesus Christ, we need to put it behind us so that we can accomplish the goal of reaching lost people. And that was what we hit on our final session at Fusion so that we might be able to inspire a generation to rise up in the church unified towards accomplishing the mission. We have churches from different denominations, churches that have different uh, beliefs and ideas about various things, but we can all come together in our belief and understanding that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father and that every single one of us is in desperate need of a relationship with him. And so that was, that was uh, you know, fusion in a nutshell. And it was an amazing, amazing time. We had so many testimonies uh, of people just saying how much they enjoyed the, the weekend and how they just felt the Spirit of God was moving in the lives of their students. Um, Thursday night especially, we had an awesome time of prayer and worship. Uh, our worship team did a phenomenal job leading us in that. And we just, I mean, we, there was kids crying everywhere, kids giving their lives to Jesus, kids surrendering chains and sin and bondage that they were living in and, and putting it aside to follow the king. And it, it was amazing. And, and I want to kind of just, you know, take you guys on a journey with us through it a little bit more. And I want to specifically talk about um, number two and three uh, that you'll see on the screen. And I, ironically enough, I actually preached um, over the weekend uh, sermons one and four. Um, Pastor West was the one who prepared two and three. So all of this is new content for me. Uh, and I'm a little exhausted from it. But I specifically want to talk about um, points number two and three because I feel like they're particularly relevant for us as the church in this day and age. I feel as though we as the church have um, at times, and this is, this is big C church, this is not just this church, um, but just overall as, as a body of believers, particularly even within the United States of America, we have lost what is most important in the faith. And I think it's really easy for us because we live in a very wealthy country. We live in a very privileged country. Every single person in this room has what they need. And if you compare yourself to people in foreign countries who don't have as much, you have more than you need. And so we can often get distracted by the temptations of the world 
We can often get so caught up in the things that culture is telling us are important that we forget to do these things. And, and I think, you know, when I get up here and say the Great Commission, go make disciples, Matthew 20, I think most of us in this room understand that, we know that, we've heard that. But then the next step, the next step of saying, okay, now I'm in the mission, not just I understand the mission, I've heard it, I get it, but I'm, I'm a part of the mission. I think that's where many, many of us sometimes get stuck. And for me growing up particularly, I remember thinking, you know, missionaries are the, the really, really devout Christians. Like the missionaries are like the crazy on fire for Jesus going overseas to Africa, living in the jungle with spiders everywhere, Christians. I hate spiders. I hate spiders. One good thing about Alaska. Okay, there's multiple, but that's a particularly good thing about Alaska. I hate spiders. Actually, I hate all big bugs. It is, if it creeps and crawls, I hate it. Things that can fly away, you know, you just kind of shoo it away, no big deal. Things that when you try to shoo it away, it just like crawls somewhere else in you. <laughs> hate it, okay? And for me, like that's what I saw as a missionary. Somebody who goes somewhere where there's something that you absolutely hate, but you do it anyway because you love Jesus. And that was like the really radical followers, but then as I got older and, and God be kinda, began to do a work in my heart, he was like, no, 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 that's for everyone. The, 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 the mission field, living on mission is for everyone. It's, it's not just the crazy on fire Christians, but everyone, whether in Jerusalem or in Judea or in the ends of the earth is to be making disciples. Whether you are the one going across the world or whether you're going across your street, you are commissioned by God to make disciples. And so we as the church need to take that next step of saying, yes, 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 yeah, I know we're supposed to make disciples and saying, yes, 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 I know I'm supposed to be a part of making disciples. And that's what I want to talk about today. And so um, on the screen, you'll see the two points that are highlighted there. Those are where I want to focus today. But we're actually going to uh, talk about number three first, and then we're going to move on to number uh, two. And I want to read a passage for you um, out of 2 Corinthians. Um, and this is one of the main passages of Scripture that we kind of based this point around. Um, and it's in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, and specifically verses 20 and 21. It says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God... Almighty God, King of the universe, Yahweh, the creator and sustainer of all that exists, God, that God made his appeal through us. And we implore you, we beg you, we urge you, we, and we want to do everything we can. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And what Paul is saying here in the context of this passage is that Jesus Christ, he came to this earth to offer every human being an opportunity to be reconciled back to God the Father. Because in the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a division. There was a chasm put between God and man. 
There was darkness, there was brokenness, there was depravity ushered into humanity that we could not control, but that we are still to this day feeling the result of. And so God sends his son, Jesus, in the form of a man to bring about this reconciliation, this redemption of humanity back to God. That's what Jesus accomplished when he died and rose again. He, he paid the sacrifice for our sins so that we could be reunited with God without having to die. And Jesus comes and he, he makes these disciples and he says, now you go be my ambassadors to the world. You go do and share and embody what I just did for all humanity. And, and this isn't like, hey, if you, just, if you decide to walk into mission field and go overseas, you're an ambassador. This isn't, oh, if you're a pastor or full-time minister, then you're an ambassador. This is every single person who's been reconciled back to God is now an ambassador of reconciliation for the world. And we must walk into that. And so when we think about the idea of our role and preparing for the, for the mission, being be a part of the mission, I want to make it very clear that it is every single person in this room's job to be a part of the mission. And when I say a part of the mission, I mean actively engaged in making disciples. I don't mean passively engaged in making disciples. And there's a difference. Because many people think to themselves, well, I give money to the church that makes disciples, so I'm good. Okay, that's great. And God wants you to be a generous giver. And, and to some, he even gives the gift of generosity. And that's awesome. And you've been given money and you are generously giving it to others to help with the mission. That's great. And that is a part of it. But never engaging in being an ambassador or in taking the gospel to lost people is not the same thing. We as the people of God must take the Great Commission seriously and begin to play an active role in making disciples. And I'm going to say another point that kind of piggybacks that off, piggybacks off of that, which is every parent, hear me now, and, and I'm saying this out of love, and I'm saying this from the little bit of experience that I have, because it's not very much. But I've been in youth ministry for a long time. Well, I mean, six years. <laughs> parents, you must see your job as a parent to make disciples. You must realize that your kid graduating from high school is not the most important thing that your kid can ever do. Your kid being an all-star athlete is not the most important thing that can happen for your kid. Your kid not screwing up or, or doing something terrible that everybody looks at you and goes, oh man, that kid. That's not the ultimate goal of being a parent. The ultimate goal of being a parent 
is to train up fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who, when fully matured, can go play an active role in the continuing mission of God. That is what it means to be a parent. And and I say that because, again, being in youth ministry, I've encountered a lot of parents who want me as the youth pastor to disciple their kids. And I'd love to. And my job is to help you not do it for you. My job is to come alongside of you and and fill in some gaps here and there because, you know, sometimes kids just need to hear something from somebody else outside their parent. But my job is to come alongside of you to partner with you so that you can make disciples, so that you can raise up a generation, so that you can lead your family. And I want to be very clear because making disciples of your children is playing an active part in the mission of God. And we here at ABT are passionate about families. We believe there is strength, there is unity, there is power in the family and in parents training their kids to be disciples. And let me just tell you, no parent can make their kid a disciple of Jesus if they themselves are not a disciple of Jesus first. Kids see right through everything you do as a parent. You don't know how many times I have kids sitting in my, my office, in my truck, at lunch, talking about how their parents do one thing at church and another thing at home about how their parents say they want their kid to follow Jesus, but then every other priority of this world comes before the mission of God. Or every other pastime that's a little fun, every hobby takes precedence to the mission. Your parents, your kids see right through it. If you do not embody a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, it will be a miracle if your kids turn out to be one. And I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm not saying God can't do it. And I'm not saying that every single kid will always turn out to be a follower of Jesus, no matter how hard you try, but it definitely won't happen if you're not. We as the church must take an active role, an active role in making disciples. That is our job. And again, I will say this again. Everyone has different gifts. Everyone has been given a spiritual gift by God for the sake of the ministry that is different. And everyone needs to find a way to use that gift and surrender it back to God in worship and service to his mission. We all have different strengths and I get that. But what we all have in common is that we must work together for the mission, and I'll say that a million more times throughout the course of this morning, because if, if that's all you get, then I have been successful. So everyone must take a part. Church attendance, being here every Sunday, is not the same as being actively engaged in the mission of God. We must find a way to serve. 
Because of this belief, because of this personal and corporate conviction that we as the church here at ABT and especially within the student ministries have, that we are all supposed to be active contributors to the mission of God, we want to do everything in our power to prepare the next generation for that mission, for that calling. We want to do everything we can to raise up a generation that goes into the world equipped to withstand the darkness that they're going to face, to withstand the evil that is eagerly waiting at the door to destroy them. We know that the devil is a roaring lion prowling about trying to destroy our youth and he doesn't play nice and he doesn't wait till they're fully equipped disciples to attack them. He starts when they're young. He starts when they're innocent. He starts before you even realize it, trying to captivate the attention of the youth to lead them to destruction. He starts with social media. I'm just going to take, I'm, as a youth pastor, I just got to take this moment to speak to parents. Parents, if your kids have social media, they are being attacked by the devil. You cannot control what your kids see on social media, no matter how hard you try. And if your kids have social media, they are being infiltrated by seeds of doubt that there's a God through social media. Thoughts, secular humanism, it's all about naturalism and your own feelings and your own truth. It is infiltrating their minds through social media. TikTok, awful. Awful. If your kids have TikTok, there is access to pornography at their will. If your kids have YouTube, pornography. If your kids have Instagram, you get what I'm saying? It's everywhere. And I, so many times, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming off of youth conference, and so I'm just like, I'm sorry. So many times, parents are absent or dismissive, or there's this, this demonic spirit that gets in their mind that says, no, no, don't say anything. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. That's from the devil, because it's a big deal. And we as parents, uh, uh, yeah, I say we as parents, okay, I have an 18-month-old, so. <laughs> Sometimes being a parent is so hard and it's so challenging because you want your kids to love you and accept you and have a relationship with you so much that sometimes, you know, what to say and how to say and how to engage in the conversation is so difficult. And, and we're like, oh, every time I try to bring it up, they just like shrug it off and I don't want to push them away. And your kids need to hear it. Your kids need to hear about sex because guess what? They're hearing about it everywhere else. Their friends talk about sex. The social media talks about sex. Their schools talk about sex. Their songs probably talk about sex. And you don't know how many times I'll ask a young man, hey, have your parents ever talked to you about sex? Nope. So like, do you know anything? Uh, I mean, I know what my friends tell me. So 50% of it's probably true. Why? Why are, why, why are we so afraid to talk about sex? Why are we so afraid to have the hard conversation? Why are we so afraid to look our kid in the eye and say, what are you doing on your phone? What, what you got there? What's going on in your heart? 
Who are your friends? What music are you listening to? Ah, I'm going to listen to that song too. Oh, that's 12 F words already in the first 30 seconds. You're not allowed to listen to that anymore. Why are we so afraid as parents to regulate what our kids do? You know why? Because we're afraid that if we're too pushy or too controlling, they'll walk away from the faith. You know what that's going to lead them to walk away from the faith? The devil who's actively trying to get their attention and lead them to destruction by all the things that they're allowed to hear. By all, the, by all the social media and the TV and the video games. It's everywhere. And you have to be the umbrella, the shield that protects your innocent children from the ways of the wicked one who wants to devour them. And it takes intentionality as a parent. It takes purposefulness as a parent to see every one of your kids as a potential follower of Jesus and do everything in your power to make sure that they can be one, to get on your knees every morning, every night, whatever it takes to pray this protection of the father upon them because we live in, in a spiritual world and their battle as well as yours is not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And we have to fight that battle for them. Every parent must realize that you being a parent necessitates making disciples. And you are the first, first step in preparing them for what God has for them. You are the first line of defense for the ungodliness that they will experience. You must do it. We can prepare your kids through youth ministry and youth services in ways that engage them that are culturally relevant to them without being worldly. We can have conferences like Fusion and you know we have youth group and we have small groups and we have all these great resources, but the number one most important thing is parents who take discipleship seriously. And another really phenomenal way is through Christian education. I'll get there in a minute. But I want to I read a, a passage out of Luke chapter 12. And it's a long passage. And I'm going to be honest, I, I read it um, and I had to read it a couple of times because I was sitting there thinking, am I really understanding what this, what this means? And... Uh, yeah, I, I just, I'm going to read it. It says um, in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Okay, we get this idea, this picture, this image of people who are eager, eagerly expecting the return of the master, which is what we are doing right now, waiting for Jesus to return for us, eagerly awaiting his return. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake, awake when he comes, not lulled to sleep by all the distractions of the culture, but awake, ready, because they know their number one purpose is to receive the master. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table with him and he will come and serve them. 
if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And, and we've, we've heard that particular verse before. And I want to keep reading. Peter said, Lord, are you, are you telling this parable for, for us or for all, right? And, and what he's saying is, are you, are you telling this parable to us as your disciples or, or for all people and lost people? And I had the same question because if you keep reading, it's going to get a little crazy here in a minute. And, and interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't answer. He just keeps going. And I'm left to think that it's probably for all, but particularly for the disciples, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Who are the people who God will trust? Verse 43, blessed is that servant whose master, whom his master will find so doing when he comes, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, and this is what I want you to hear. If that servant says to himself, ah, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and, and to eat and, and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour, he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. We've heard that passage too, that verse, but not within the context of the whole passage. Often do we hear that verse quoted. And in a little bit, it sounds to me like what God's saying is, for those of my disciples who knew their job was to make disciples and didn't do it, they will receive a severe beating. Because we are the people who have been given much, and have been given the command of God and are very clear on what we're supposed to do with it. But if we say to ourselves, well, you know, Jesus is delayed in coming, so I guess I'll pursue worldliness for a little bit and I'll do this job and I'll do this career and I'll, you know, make this money and get this car and find all the other reasons to do the things that don't matter, we will receive punishment. We will receive a beating because God has commanded and entrusted us with his mission and we did nothing about it. Church, I don't, I don't want to be that person and I don't want you to be that person. I want you to be able to stand before God one day, well, probably kneel before God one day, knowing that you devoted your life to his mission 100% of the time. That's what we're after. And that's what we seek for our youth. That's what we seek for the next generation. That's what is so important to us. And that's why, I know, I know I'm going over. I want to give you guys some statistics real fast. 
In 2019, 64% of 18 to 29-year-olds who were active in their faith once before in their life walk away from their faith as an adult. Less than 10% of Americans truly possess a biblical worldview. And, And that's done by asking people a series of questions reflective of a worldview and based on their answers, putting together whether or not they truly embody what the Bible says is true. Less than 10%, 66% of born-again Christians assert there is no such thing as absolute truth. That right there, of the 90% that don't possess a worldview, 66% of that is people who simply don't assert there is absolute truth, which when you read the Bible, is very clear that God is absolute truth. Some 90% of professing Christ followers put their kids in government-run education. And I want to, there's a reason that's up there. There's a reason that's up there. And, 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 and hear me, this is not to be condem- condemning. And this is also not an advertisement for Anchorage Christian schools. What this is, is the heart of a youth pastor who's seen many kids walk away from the faith, pleading with the church not to allow the world to educate your kids. Not to allow the godless, absolutely horrific demonic teachings of people who deny the existence of God to be what informs the minds of your innocent children. We... There's a reason 64% of youth who were once in the faith walk out of it. It's because they either go to public school or they go to public education when they go to college and they're not prepared, they're not equipped, and they walk away. And that is why we must equip and prepare our kids because as 2 Corinthians 10 says, we are fighting a spiritual battle. We are fighting against a spiritual enemy. Verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 10 says, The weapons of our, warfare, of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy spiritual strongholds. And then he keeps going and he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Because that's exactly what culture is trying to get your kids to believe is that there is no God. And they do it through all these roundabout ways that slowly lead your kids' heart astray until they deny the existence of God. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. It's a spiritual battle that's taking your kids to destruction through the mind and through knowledge and science and everything else that they use. But in Psalms 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you want your children to share the core values and beliefs that you have when they leave, you must, you must make sure that their education, their training is Christian, is Christ-centered. And the reason we know this is because Luke 6.40 says that when a disciple is fully trained, he will be just like his teacher. 
when, when a student is fully trained, he will be just like his teacher, which, you know, we know that to be kind of like the New Testament version of the Old Testament passage of Proverbs 22 that says, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And, and it's crazy because sometimes we, we, we miss that, we forget that. We don't acknowledge that. We think that our kids can just be inundated with, with training from the culture, and then we wonder why they look just like the culture when they turn to adults. Can't happen. Can't happen. Kids who are in school from kindergarten to 12th grade, 14,000 hours, 14,000 seat hours. If it's in a public school system with ungodly teachers, that is 14,000 hours your kids are hearing false lies, wickedness. 14,000 hours. You know how many hours parents get with their kids? It varies on the family for sure. I'd say most parents have less than 30 minutes a day of face-to-face -face teaching and training with their kids. If you average it out, it's about 2,500 from kindergarten through 12th grade. And if you're a parent that has more than 30 minutes a day, every day with training and discipleship of your kid, great. That's awesome. But they still go to school eight hours a day. So unless your comparison is eight hours a day, it's still less than the world. We can't do that to our youth. I'm going to finish with this passage. Psalms 1. Psalms 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not weather. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We want our kids, our youth, to be righteous people who are prosperous in this life. Who, who grow up into adulthood, into maturity, equipped, steadfast, planted by streams of living water because of the Holy Spirit that abides in them, equipped to go out and do every good work that God has commanded them to do. But it starts with people who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, do not stand in the way of sinners, do not sit in the seat of scoffers, do not allow the world and the culture and the wickedness of their environments to be what consumes them. That's what Fusion's all about. That's what this youth group's all about. That's what Anchorage Christian Schools is all about. That's why parents choose to homeschool because they want their kids to be trained by godliness. And if we're gonna be a church that fulfills the Great Commission, we have to be a church that trains up the next generation.